0: Every fear for Spirit One Spirit is in this very room, in this very room. In this very room. And so I invite you to know with me in this moment as we recognize the one life, one power, as Daniel Namat so beautifully articulated in his beautiful song One life, perfect life, God's life, Spirit's life. Whatever you call it, as he said, it doesn't matter. Even if it doesn't exist, but you believe it exists, is what matters. But I know in my heart of hearts that that life, that presence does exist. That life is my life. It is your life. And so I give thanks in this moment for this awareness. I give thanks for this day. I give thanks for ears to hear and eyes to see. And I'm just so grateful for this moment as I breathe into it with you, knowing that each and every one of us is guided. As we open ourselves to that awareness, to that life force, to that frequency and vibration of the most high and so I know that each and every one of us is divinely ordained supported and resourced in every good way for the next good thought for the next opening for the newness for the vitality for the life for the richness of the experience of being alive I give thanks this day for all the blessings that have brought me to this point and the blessings that are appearing in this moment and have yet to be revealed. I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Excuse me one minute while I talk to Bill. Should we change this? Is it okay? Okay, it's just a little bright. Does it feel a little bright in the mic? I hear a ringing in my ears. Maybe it's just inside my head. But (laughs) If it continues, I'll go to plan B here. Uh, We have many... Before I uh... talk about the second five laws of healing i wanted to uh... introduce someone to you we have many people in this community that are uh, essential to our uh... vitality and to our forward movement and to the management of our resources programs personnel and all the things that are involved we have a board of board of trustees here and they are our leadership council and so to better acquaint you with the workings of our community and also an opportunity for me to say thank you and to honor some of our heroes that have given their time, talent and energy so that we may continue to be a force for good in the world, really. We are one of the leading centers in the world for this, this movement. And even though we may feel small at times, we're mighty. And so uh, it takes a lot of people. And uh, one of the people that I want to introduce you to today is a member of our current. A board of trustees, part of our leadership council, and I'm going to invite Sandy Roberts to come forward, and I'm going to ask her a few questions. So this is Sandy Roberts. Would you welcome her to the platform? Good morning once again. She's had to stay for two services today, so she told me she'll have my talk memorized by the end of this one. Actually, she's, actually she's running out because she's part of our pastoral care team. She's very involved in many ministries here. Amazing, amazing lady. So I'm going to give you that mic, and I'll take this one. So tell us how long you've been uh, coming to the center.
1: I've been coming to the center 14 years.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. And she's been here every Sunday. Hasn't missed one. Well, she missed a couple on her. Right? But, but she's a hero. Not
1: willingly, I don't miss.
0: <laughs> and so um, what unique gifts and talents, skills, things do you bring to the community in terms of being on leadership Do you feel are, are the things that um, bubble up for you when I ask you that question?
1: Well, I've had some really wonderful career opportunities. I was a teacher, and I was a school principal. I was uh, worked in central offices as a deputy superintendent and then I went and worked for government for the last 17 years and I worked for the Department of Education and Justice and um, in those roles I was able to work with a lot of people and manage a lot of issues and manage budgets and uh, I've recently retired and so I've had some more time to do some of the things that I really love to do so that's my career but I- Besides that, the real me is I'm a mother and a wife. I've been married to my husband for 44 years. We have three adult children, and we have six wonderful grandchildren. And I'm surrounded by a loving family and many, many loving friends. So I bring that energy.
0: Awesome, beautiful. So you do relationships really well.
1: I hope so. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And so what has you, have you found the most uh, challenging or, or the most uh, you know a surprise in terms of on the other side of that in terms of being involved with the leadership council the joys the 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 insights the uh, and the, and also the some of the challenges what what would speaks to you around those ideas
1: it's really lovely to be in a leadership role when you're working with people that are like-minded and people that want the best for the people we serve and best for the community and so that's just been a real treat to be with people like that um, this center is, is governed by our laws, by our philosophy. That's how we do business here, and that's beautiful. Lots of places don't do it that way. Um, when I first decided that I would come on the board, I was really concerned that it would be just too consuming for me. There's lots going on every day, every, every weekend. And so when I was assured that I didn't have to show up for everything, that, that was really comforting. <laughs> Not that I wouldn't mind being here for everything, but I do have another life. Uh, (laughs) So the opportunities for growth here are wonderful. There's training for the board, and and, uh, it's just a very strong community, and it's really nice to be able to help Patrick and Laura share some of this load.
0: Oh, thank you. So what uh, what would you, any surprises that you'd like to share? What would you like to share with this group that may not uh, have any idea of something that uh, you're involved with or something that's part of your history?
1: Well, there's probably lots of things you guys don't know about me. I'll share one thing that uh, is very important to me and, and uh, you probably don't know. I've been the doula for five births. That means I've assisted the mummies through the birth and welcomed brand new babies into the world with absolute joy and love. And this summer I'm going to have the opportunity to do it for another young mummy and her baby. And the
0: daddy of two. Awesome, awesome. Well, I just want to I want to extend my gratitude to to Sandy. She's, she is a, a really involved with selfless service. And so many of you, I look out at the audience, see past members of our, our leadership our, and in terms of our board of trustees, and I thank you as well. But this is part of what allows us to continue, a huge part of what allows us to continue to thrive. And she does a lot of love and service. And so... To me, she's one of our heroes, and I just think it's important to point to our heroes and say thank you so much. So thank you, Sandy. Love you. Okay? And I know you're taking off, so travel safely and say hi to everybody at the pastoral care meeting for us. All right. So I've been using the meditation as our spiritual practice for this month. And so we've started talking. The last week we talked about the first five laws of healing, and now we're going to talk about the second five laws of healing. Um, The first five laws, um, well, they'll come up. Second slide. First slide is our the the five we're going to do today. Uh, One is the sixth one is understanding the mind body connection, which I'll flesh out. I'll flesh all these out with you today. The seventh one is let it flow, which is about energetics. It's about uh, us as a physical uh, conduit of energy and how we can, uh, can be in that flow or not in that flow. Uh, the eighth is be a skeptical explorer. Number nine is get support. And number 10 is take responsibility but give up control, which is always a challenge for us, isn't it? Because sometimes we, we're real good at control but we don't want to take any responsibility. And so those are the five that we'll look at today. Last week, we looked at the um, the first five, and they are the last five laws of spiritual healing. The first five are we care for the things we love, the body remembers, separate body image from body reality, come into animal presence, and listen to our bodies. And so if you d- didn't get those, um, they are on, they'll be on the podcast. They're not up yet, but they'll be up shortly. Yeah, or you can buy a CD today or from last week of the, the first five. But it's worth noting because there's, they tie in beautifully with this idea of mindfulness, of heartfulness, of meditation and why meditation is such a powerful practice in our lives. So I'm going to flesh these, these last five out with you and then talk about some of the, the skills and, and uh, practices that help us build it because it is a practice. To shift and change patterns in our lives and habitual ways of being requires practice. And many times the practice is disappointing because the results don't seem to be uh, uh, readily available. And so it's important for us to understand what's going on, even when it doesn't look like things are happening. So the first one, moving into the sixth law of healing, is understanding the mind-body connection. There's been amazing work over the last 50 years around this idea. Joan Borisenko, if you know Dr. Joan Borisenko with the um, mind-bodily healing work she's done, her teacher was a man by the name of Dr. Herbert Benson who also taught at Harvard and still teaches at Harvard. He wrote a book called The Relaxation Response, in which he theorized that 60 to 90% of the visits to doctors are stress-related. So 60 to 90% are stress-related. And so if we understand that and we manage stress better, because if you remember the first week, if you were here, I talked about the, the four uh, stresses. And one is choice-based stress, which we have an opportunity to do something about. So stress-related issues are very poorly treated by conventional medicine. Typically, you're given a, uh, some form of drug, uh, to to help manage it because that's just what Western medicine does and I'm not critical of that but it's that's just one tool in the toolbox Benson began his work with a study of, of transcendental meditation meditators when he first started his study and what he found is that meditation or any type of relaxation technique or prayer that is repetitious that is based on a phrase a sound or breath to quiet the thinking process so it could be a sound it could be a breath it could be a mantra, and it's repetitious. And what it does is it, it affects the thinking process. And what it, then, how it's measured is it's, it becomes measurable, predictable, reproducible, and it has physio- physiological changes. And if we know this now. We know this through studies uh, over these years. So, many diseases are caused by our inadequacy of our reactions. If 60 to 90% of the things that bring us to a doctor are created related to stress, much of what helps create the distress or the dis-ease in our bodies and our systems is because of our inadequacy in responding to our reactions to the things that are creating the stress. Make sense? I think it makes sense. What What we all understand and know is that we have this, we're hardwired for fight or flight. So things happen. And and what's happened over the the evolution of of the human species is that years and years and years ago, we needed fight or flight many times for survival. So we'd be in a situation, and in order to escape the threat, we would either take off or we would defend ourselves. That mechanism is still very much alive in us. We're we're hardwired for that. We're tripwired for it. Gavin, uh, and actually, yeah, there's Dr. Benson. The next photo is Gavin DeBecker. He wrote a book called Gift of Fear. And there he is. Anxiety kills more people each year than the dangers we face, is what he, in his research. Anxiety kills more people each year than the dangers we face. So our thinking about it, our worrying about it, our stressing about it is much more harmful than the actual event. And so it, what he it creates is high blood pressure, heart disease, depression, and other stress-related ailments. So what we know is walling off the stress doesn't work, and I talked a little bit about that last week, talked about catastrophizing, talked about this idea of, of not moving into hope because if we move into hope, we might as well live in disappointment because if we live in disappointment, then disappointment's not a surprise. To say to ourselves, well, why bother? I'll just, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to get a break, so why even look in that direction? But it's so we're, we're tripwired for that in many ways. And so walling off stress doesn't work. So number one, we can eliminate, we can work to eliminate by our choices, the choice-based Stresses, things that are creating stress in our lives that we maybe don't necessarily have to do or be in. And that's one option. The other is that we can use mindfulness and heartfulness, meditation, to become stress-hardy. To become stress-hardy. So we're going to talk about that, and I'm going to give you a few strategies around that. But stress-hardiness is such a valuable tool. To be able to live in in the world with all of its stresses, with all of its influences, with all of the input that we're inundated with, and manage it well so it doesn't, it doesn't become a deterrent to our well-being. John Cabot zinn amazing, and I showed you a video of him last week. Strong internal convictions about the comprehensibility, the manageability, and meaningfulness, three big words, so I'll go back and talk about them a little. Comprehensibility is understanding it, managing it, and, and finding meaning in it of life experiences are powerful internal resources. So in other words, those things happen, and what they can be is an asset to us, to to inform us and guide us, rather than something we need to push away, something that we need to fear. So, number one, it's understanding that body-mind connection, that we are all influenced by, by the things that we think, and our body is affected by it. And the research, the medical research on it is astounding, the way they're able to measure things now. Very important. The seventh law of healing is letting energy flow. So there'll be a, a, a slide that'll come up, and it'll show you three different mo- modalities on that slide. One is the gi, the gi, which is the Chinese form of medicine. It is it is invisible, formless, and indispensable. It warms us, it protects us from illness, and it gives us vitality. It's the Tao. We, we've all heard these things: Taoism or the gijong. And there's a doctor in Edmonton that was quite still quite famous, and I can't remember his name right now. But I know he taught the gijong for years, and there's many uh, practitioners of it in Edmonton. Yoga, Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic medicine, Tai Chi, acupuncture, shiatsu, work with the body. Finding where, in other words, finding where the energy is blocked and then working to free it up. As many of you know, the last um, year I've been having a lot of trouble with my legs and my back and my hip and all these things. And part of it has been this this left and right side of my body being out of balance, which is really the Eastern style of medicine. It's very gentle. It's very, it's very um, uh, sort of... There's a finesse to it. There's a sort of a ballet to it. And in Western medicine, you know, I've, I've worked with a uh, physiotherapist. I've worked with a chiropractor. That has also been valuable for me. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But, but it's really about understanding where we are and how we can be out of balance and getting the left side and the right side of the body to communicate with one another. When you walk the labyrinth, it's very much like brain gym, for those of you that know the Western style of brain gym. The labyrinth is a form of brain gym where the left and, sides, left and right sides of the brain communicate. Even if you trace a labyrinth, they have finger labyrinths. If you trace one, they've worked with patients in the hospital that are not ambulatory, they're confined to a bed or confined to a wheelchair. They'll trace a finger labyrinth and they'll find the brainwave pattern uh, is the, the exact same as if they'd walked it. So the, in these patterns, there's a, there, it brings this into balance and harmony. Well, that's part of that, that uh, Eastern style of health and vitality and balance. And prana, prana is is uh, the breath of life. It comes from the the Hindu tradition, the sacred tradition, the ancient tradition. And it's represented up there by the the picture. It's a picture of the seven chakras, the seven energy centers of the body. It's the different colored lights. It's actually what happens with the crystal bed. It helps bring the body into alignment, balance. It aligns the subtle bodies. So it's a much more gentle approach. And so it's, it's, uh, it's quite fascinating and interesting to see how... Uh, these various modalities can assist us. The eighth law is to be a skeptical explorer, to be a skeptical explorer. So I I put a picture of Leonardo da Vinci up for this. Leonardo was an amazing thinker. He wasn't a real popular thinker of his day because he had so many thoughts that were outside the box. I mean, there's still an exhibition of his ideas and his designs and his architecture and his uh, insight into the human form that travel around the world. I saw it in Australia a few years ago. It's fascinating the way this man thought. There's a Sufi saying around being a skeptical explorer, trust in God, but tie your camel. (laughs) So in other words, when I was talking about the different, the different forms of, the different modalities. You know, one of the things I know about Western medicine is they've been really, really beneficial when the AIDS epidemic broke out. And they, they identified uh, medicines over time, and they've really fine-tuned it now so that people that are afflicted with this condition are able to continue to live. And there's many, many pieces of this that are really uh, powerful and wonderful. When I went to Abidjan and had the experience with John of God, I came back and I was was having problems with my back and hip and all this uh, stuff going on. And my son, who's doing his first-year residency at uh, the University of Alberta Hospital is a urologist. And I was complaining to him one day, and he says, well, why don't you just call up John of God and have him fix it? (laughs) And I said, no, I need need something different. Uh, I get it, and that's a wonderful thing, but I need a different modality. So it's not either or, and I know that, I mean, the dedication and devotion that he's put into his studies, I totally get his bias that anything, you know, he doesn't even want to hear that I'm going to a chiropractor if I'm going to a chiropractor. God forbid anything beyond that. Well, I have a friend that does Reiki. You're doing what? Because <laughs> Western medicine is about Western medicine, and it's, it's okay. So you know what if I you know I mean there's many many times when we need that assistance and it's an art and it's amazing and a devotion so it's 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 not something it's not either or I guess is what I'm trying to say but it's important for us to ex- investigate and explore and to understand you know Dr. Ernest Holmes and, and Hazel one of the things I found out recently they founder of religious science science of mine Ernest explored everything Ernest would go to seances. He'd have his astrological chart done. He wanted to know about stuff. When stuff was happening, he'd say to Hazel, let's go check this out. We're teaching spirituality. We need to understand this stuff. And he'd go and he'd check it out, and he would always roll it back into what he taught. Consciousness precedes experience. So for Dr. Holmes, it was standalone enough to do his own work and his own prayer work and his own prayer chair on his own consciousness. But he, tr- he explored everything. And he always, he'd always he dip in and come back. He was, he was very eclectic. He read voraciously of all the stuff that was coming alive on the planet. He understood it. He knew it. He was influenced by great thinkers. So he had no bias or prejudice about any of it, but he found a way to roll it into what we teach because at the end of the day, it's really about our consciousness. As I said in my, my prayer work, even if God doesn't exist, if we believe God exists and that God is helping us heal, heal and, that, and, that, um, and that's our belief, that's our own embodied belief, we're gonna heal. I don't, I, for me, that's not true, I believe in a, a power for good, I believe in a force beyond, my experience has been and reinforces me in that, but it doesn't matter, it's what we believe. And that's what's so important, Holmes understood this. So it's, just to, it's to stay open to the magical and the mystical, but also to open to the practical and the scientific. Western medicine happens to be a bit more invasive and less subtle. So just, just, you know, not either or. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Watch many people I know say, well, I'm going to go down this path. Well, that might be just one part of the, the treatment and the modality. You know what, what I've hap- happened with my, my back and my leg? Now I have to, I have to stretch every day. And I, and I have to, because otherwise what I would do is, is, here's the thing, if I follow the Western medicine path, the way I'm, I've, I've found it, I continue to take, I manage the pain through painkillers and then eventually the flexibility in my hip and my knee get to the point where I just get new, I get new metal parts. This is, I mean, that's truly what it is. And so I've had people tell me, if you don't start stretching it, you start, don't start working it, you're, gonna, well, you're ready for hip replacement in a few years. So I have a choice to make. Or I can stretch it, which could be a form of yoga or it could be athletic stretch. And I know when, I'm, when, my, when my hips are out, and I'm, what I'm doing is getting them back into the alignment so they don't keep slipping out on me, because right now they're not as stable as they could be. So I'm working that. That's my part, that's my responsibility. And, it takes, and it's a process, because there's years I have to unravel, years and years of trauma. So I'm using this as an example simply because it's, it's not either or. And so I'm willing to work with whatever modalities bring me back into that harmony and balance. And I think it's important for us to know that in terms of the laws of healing. It's not what people are telling you what's right for you. It's what you know in your heart to be right for you. And sometimes we go, look, I love it when I go look and I check something out and, I, and I'm done with it. And I go, I'm so glad I experienced this because I know this isn't for me. I don't have to burn it down. I don't have to be critical of it. I just walk in the door. I, I'll go to weekend experiences and somebody will be training or doing their modality. And I'll, after a bit, I'll go, oh, you know what? I get this now. This isn't for me. But I don't have to make it bad and wrong. I don't have to write a letter of complaint saying what you're doing is wrong. I to say, this isn't for me. I'm going to move on to this. Because I'm not interested. Because that works for some people. And so, not my problem, not my issue. But it's much healthier for me. I don't have to burn it down because I don't like it. I can simply say, not for me. Not my preference. Doesn't represent me. I'm not called to that. It's so much sweeter and healthier. The ninth law, get support. Get support. We all need support. Dr. D- Dean Ornish says, the most important cure for heart disease, the healing power of human support and intimacy. Human support and intimacy. They know this to me, the most important uh, piece of it. Groups, friendship, intimate relationships have a powerful effect on our bodies. They give us a stronger immune system, better cardiovascular functioning, and longer life expectancies. A lack of social support is as dangerous as smoking or a lack of exercise or high cholesterol. So if you're isolating, you might want to look at that. You could start simple and small. Buy a plant that you have to water occasionally. Work your way into a, a more sophisticated life forms, but start water the lawn. Do <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But have a relationship with something. I know you're laughing, but I know people out there not here right now, as a matter of fact. I'm not talking. But those guys that we know that aren't here with us today, is what I'm talking about. In Michi- they did a study in Michigan. 2,700 men who volunteered were two and a half- now these guys volunteered could be women too. I'm sure not just men, but they studied men for some reason. Were two and a half times less likely to die from all causes than their uninvolved peers. So when you're in, in service to someone other than yourself or something, just besides your life just being about you, you are two and a half times healthier than those that are less involved. There's two ways to do it. Number one is to reach out and ask for help and support. One of the reasons that we have our small groups, and we, we gather, we do classes, we have meditation groups. We have, what is it, 23 groups going now of small groups? I mean, it's been wonderful to watch that. And we connect, and we listen, and we care for one another, and we're in high relationship with a small group of people. And it's just a beautiful thing to watch. And it's, the, it's that high level of care. And, and, and we met last week, we had our Ignite meeting, which is a mo- monthly meeting for our leaders and leaders in training, which is very, don't, don't let the term scare you, it's just people showing up that want to be in service. And people were talking about the gift they receive as a result of being in service and connecting. And it brings us all to life in a bigger way. So we can reach out and ask for help. The other one is to make our primary love relationship as consciously healing as you can. Making your primary love relationship as consciously healing as you can. So if you have, Kelly, you're sitting there with someone you have your arm around him. I'm assuming that there's probably a love of some sort of relationship going on there. Example, of, and, and, and John and Jody are behind them, but if you can make that primary relationship a, source of the high, a real high source of healing energy in your life, it's very powerful. Because you're already doing it. But it just takes on a different complexity. So two ways, ask for help, Reach out, be involved, or take that primary relationship and realize that we've come together to help one another heal and grow and deepen, expand, create, thrive. Because what they know is that that, uh, a nasty relationship or a, a bitter divorce is as harmful to the physiology as is smoking a pack of cigarettes every day. So if you're in one of those relationships, that's why I talk about forgiveness all the time. This last song you're going to see from Daniel Neymar today about gratitude is just beautiful. Because gratitude is the feeling tone of spirit. Gratitude, I mean, gratitude is not Pollyannish to go, oh, I'm going to be so grateful for whatever today, even though I just am so angry with so-and-so. It's really about putting down that being angry with so-and-so and shifting it into gratitude for something that really captures us. And our whole body is expanded in a beautiful way. You know, I was doing this work last night, and about midnight... all of a sudden I thought a comment that someone made to me the day before floated up into my awareness and I got really angry because I thought it was really unfair stupid ignorant the whole list of this comment and then I sat there and I said wow look at this I'm doing this work I'm writing this and now I want to go to bed and who comes to visit me but this comment oh And so I I had to go through a whole line of questioning. Is this true? Is this really, was it really said uh, personally? On and on and on. And after about 10 minutes of the inquiry, I completely forgot about it and I went to sleep. But I have to tell you that that, those kind of comments and that kind of churning in my awareness used to go on for for me for days and sometimes weeks. And I'd be just tortured because it's like, put it down. What is the attachment? And what I have found over time is the more forgiveness work I can do. So I went into my forgiveness chant. I just silently, when you do the co-creation work, when you do the sacred healing circle, we teach this forgiveness. And on the inhale, I bless you silently. And on the exhale, I accept you. So I kept saying the person's name. And on the inhale, I say, I accept you and I bless you. And after about five minutes, the, 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 and it was the breathing. And, and it was after about five minutes, it just dissipated. And I thought, man, I'm so grateful for these practices. Just so grateful that someone gave me the gift of this practice. Part of that was me reaching out for help. Ninth law, get support. Tenth law, take responsibility but give up control. Boy, that's a hard one to figure out sometimes, isn't it? Because many times we think we're taking responsibility when all we're doing is is in hyper-control mode. Healing is a process of protection and openness, of boundaries and free-flowing energy, of mastery and surrender. It's not either-or. It's not like, I got this one modality. And I'm going to stick with it. No, it's both. It's the love and the law. Taking responsibility for the health and healing of one's body is different than being in control. You and I can take responsibility for our health, but we can't control the ultimate outcome. We can influence it, we can greatly enhance it, but none of us are going to live forever in this form, much as we'd like to. There are things that are going to show up in our lives. Believe me, there's nothing on my radar screen that said I wanted to have these challenges with my legs and my back and my hip and all this stuff. Part of it's wear and tear. Part of it's trauma. Part of it's, you know, poor posture. Part of it is, is moving in ways that I, I didn't create the infrastructure. I didn't, you know, I, I, my, my, my physical fitness lapsed, and then I got back into it or whatever. But, but there are things that happen with us physically. There are things that people develop cancers. People develop illnesses in their lives. And some of it is environmentally induced. But what we do have responsibility for is how we manage it and how we move forward with it and how we care for ourselves. You and I are capable of making healthy choices that will help and heal our bodies. And that we're not always at fault. And in our teaching many times, well, you, it's okay, when I first came to it, it was okay to die, but don't get sick. You know, it's as if, we get, if you get sick, don't tell anybody, there's something wrong with your consciousness. Well, you know what, I've had a few colds. You know, I've had a few aches and pains throughout the, uh, my journey with this teaching. And, then, and it doesn't help me to start blaming myself. Well, I'm less than perfect. I'm, God and I are one. I'm perfect, whole, and complete. Where's that affirmation? Or, or jobs end, or relationships end, or things like that. It's part of the natural progression of life As consciousness shifts, our experiences shift. And so it's understanding that. And as we grow in deep and deepen, everything continues to change. And sometimes the illness shows up to guide us to an awareness. I was just reading something last week that said, that, that the, cancer, when a, and this is a theory, and I'm just sharing, I'm just reporting, okay? I'm not trying to convince you. But cancer is actually a way of the body adjusting based on the conditions. And so in, in, at the deepest sense of it, it's an opportunity to look deeply, which is exactly what they're talking about in this information. And so when we understand that. It's a wake-up call. My son, the doctor, was telling me that most of us develop cancers throughout our lives many, many times, but our immune system steps up and flushes them out. I didn't know that. It's remarkable. At some times it develops and we're in a weakened state of awareness. We're tired because we've worked too hard or whatever it may be. And so all of a sudden we, have start, we, we create a space for that to happen. So I'm saying that to, to micromanage this and to punish ourselves when something shows up in our lives that's less than perfect, I don't think is, is a serious, mature spiritual practice. It's working with ourselves, being kind to ourselves, loving our bodies as I talked about last week. Our job, the first place to start is love our bodies just the way they are today. The size they are today. The conditions they are today. You know, for me to start pouring love into all of the joints in my body that I, you know, I've, I've overworked doing construction work and carrying heavy stuff every day for years and years and years. And then for me to beat it up because it hurts. To pour the love and the care into it. Slow down. Get the help. Ask for the guidance. And don't move into guilt with it faith in the body's capacity to heal itself must be coupled with patience and perseverance any long-term change requires patience patience is our theme for next month and it's amazing amazing way to look at patience because people like i don't want to develop patience well spiritual practice is about diligence it's about devotion any significant long-term change requires long stretches of dedicated practice whether that change has to do with playing the violin or learning to be a more loving and open person. It takes practice. It takes faith. It's starting that course. It's starting to walk down that path. And despite what's showing up, I love Stephen Levine last week if you're here. Stephen Levine has done amazing work with his wife, Andrea, around hospice care and people in transition. And he he just said we have to see beyond the rational. People will say things. Like talking about that phrase that came up in my head, that experience last night. And I said, you know, I want to see beyond the rational with this. I want to do my forgiveness work right here and right now so I can go to sleep. I want to get some rest. And I know this wasn't personal, but I'm making it personal, so stop it. But I had to go through, I had to unravel that. And so he talks about those five and ten pound grievances that we bring to our lives and we stick them in the bag that we carry our backpack and they get heavier and heavier and heavier. And they're not even ours to carry. But because somebody didn't look at us with love, somebody was was in a hurry when we got off the bus or got on the bus or got in a taxi or got off the taxi or whatever it may be. And we can make that personal. That has nothing to do with us. So I want to pull the, the last slide up here. The tools for stress hardiness. So these are really important. This is stuff that all of us can do. The number one, this is and so calm is a superpower. Did you know that? Calm, C-A-L-M, is superpower. Number one is to breathe. Anybody here ever breathe besides me? But to really breathe. See, calm people really get breathing, like deep breathing. The second thing calm people do because they all share things in common. Calm people are comfortable in silence. Calm people are comfortable in silence. I don't know if you've ever had the experience, but you go to work and somebody runs up to you and says, oh my God, did you hear what's happening? The whole, the whole department over there is getting laid off. Really? When? Monday morning, they're all getting laid off. Really? Who'd you hear that from? I heard that from the, down the hall. Where? Which hall down? Down which hall? Who was down the hall that you heard it from? Did you hear it from somebody else, or, or did you hear it from management? But So what calm, what, what calm people do is they breathe, they're comfortable in silence, and then when things start to unravel, they don't move into, when they find themselves in anxious situations, they ask questions. So who told you this? Was it somebody in management? So the whole department, the department I'm in is getting laid off? Hmm, wow. When are they going to announce that? See, calm enough not to buy into the hysteria. And then they ask the question, well, do, do I have enough data to freak out? I can freak out. I'll join you in the, in the uh, anxiety, but I'm not sure if I have enough data. So if I, I'll gather and we'll ask a few more questions and then I'll join you and then we'll both run around the parking lot and throw our hands up in the air and up and down. But right now I need more information. And then they also ask a question: "Will freaking out about this help me?" Will be it? Is this a strategy that I want to follow? Freaking out. Has anybody here ever freaked out about anything? <laughs> yeah, I've done it a few times. See, calm—we become—is a superpower. Calm is such a, an amazing experience, and it, but it's so easy to get caught up in the history of life and what's happening, and so what it's important for all of us to know, and I think this comes from Oprah, that you and I are responsible for the energy that we bring into the room. You and I are responsible for the energy you bring into the room. So if you run in the door like your hair's on fire every time you go in somewhere, you know, it's always the fire drills going on when so-and-so shows up. You know, after a while, people don't want to hang out with you. But it's really bringing that calm presence in when things happen. You know, we have stuff going on in our lives. Laura and I have stuff going on in our lives. And it's asking questions, getting more information. Hmm, interesting. Really? Is that true? But calm as a practice is, is one of the tools for stress hardiness. And it's just so, so powerful and, and beautiful and, and, and such a, a deep, deep practice that sometimes I think we forget. So next time you found yourself being stimulated into anxiety and fear, remember to breathe. I mean really breathe, not just... That's not breathing, that's just staying alive. As the Bee Gees talked about, huh? Huh? I won't do that right now. Sing all the Bee Gees songs some other week. I can't sing that high anymore anyway. But you know what I mean? Breathing. They find that just breathing deeply dissipates about 50% of it. And then being, being, being good in silence. My wife, Laura, has been a great, great teacher for me at that. She's very comfortable being quiet. And it took me a while to get used to that. Because I was, I, was I was used to being around a lot of people that were talking all the time. And so then I tried to, tried to figure out, is she being silent because she's upset with me? Is she keeping secrets? <laughs> Took me a while to figure it out. When I first met her, I'm like, no, she's just very quiet. She's comfortable being quiet. Oh, I can be comfortable being quiet too. So it was beautiful. It's still beautiful. I love it.
1: You know?
0: And then asking those questions. I mean, as we said last week, and I, I, I love that, it's, it's, it's to love our bodies as they are, it's just so important. To love us right where we are gives us so much more opportunity to move into a vibrancy and a health than it does to beat ourselves up and to blame ourselves. So this is our opportunity. So next week, next month, next week, we're going to talk about patience and the power of that, continuing to build these beautiful spiritual practices. So this week, I'd like to show of hands. How many people are willing to keep breathing throughout this week? Sweet. Good for you. And to be comfortable in silence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah you do it like that yes. all right and remember to ask questions except when I'm at the door there greeting you on the way out don't ask any questions here but remember that just kidding just kidding you can ask all the questions you want all right so go out make this a beautifully breathful calm and inquiring day blessings see you next week